0: Uh, Romans chapter 5, and you follow uh, as I read the first four verses of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we've covered those two verses, and <clears throat> This is where we begin tonight. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What you've heard up to this point is God's infallible word It's going to take us a couple of weeks to um, <clears throat> Kind of wade through verses Three and four because they're so rich And so uh, So much comfort has been brought to the people of God Through them So uh, I, I don't want us to get in any hurry They are they are uh, rich texts And uh, uh, Balmed to Sorrowing hearts So let's uh, Let's take our time You know there's um The New Testament contains a a lot of words that I just love, words like uh, redemption or forgiveness, words like atonement or justification. Those are all words that uh, we delight in hearing, we delight to study, we delight to do word studies and find out greater insights to them. They are words that that are rich in meaning, we'll never plumb the depths of them, but we love those words. But there are also some words in the New Testament that I almost run from um, because the, the, the meaning behind them or contained in them is something that is not as gloriously uh, enjoyable as something like forgiveness. Uh, words like persecution or affliction. I don't like those words, and, and every time I stumble onto them, um, there is there's discomfort that, that they bring. Um, the word that you find in verse 3 is the Greek word phlipsis. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that we could eliminate the word phlipsis from the Greek New Testament. But we can't. And it is the word, of course, that is translated tribulation. It's kind of a catch-all word. It's kind of a, uh, you know, persecution is a brand of flipsis. Uh, All persecution is flipsis, but not all flipsis is persecution. It's a a big word. It's a word that has uh, packed into it kind of a generic term that includes all that stuff that we wish life didn't include. Things like joblessness, or um, marital strife, or uh, rebellious kids. It's all housed in that word, flipsis. Now guys, um, back in verses 1 and 2, I went to great extreme to try and point you, or point out the difference... Uh, or at least one of the results that came from being justified by faith. It was that because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. The warfare is over. I'm no longer at enmity with the God who made me. There is, there is a peace established between the sinner and the God who made him because of the justifying work of Jesus Christ. And I went to some measure to try and Draw a distinction and make sure you understood that one of the products of justification by faith is peace with God, not peace of God. It is the peace with God that we uh, that is that is objective. Um, it is whether I feel it or not, I have it because of the finished and accomplished work of Christ, His mediatorial role for me. But it is interesting. I mean, and those are wonderful provisions that we uh, that are results of the justification by faith. But uh, whereas I I sense and and am uh, aware and and comfortable with the fact that I'm at peace with God, it's that peace of God that seems to elude me. And and I want to suggest to you that it is tribulation that is the malefactor. It's uh, it's, it's tribulation that is the evildoer in robbing me of of the peace of God. There are other malefactors, certainly. But but it's this philipsis. You know what philipsis is, don't you, ladies and gentlemen? It's this stuff. You know what this is? I get one of these every week. Some of you get them. Um, you know, when I was cards, those little cards that our people fill out every Sunday morning, there's prayer requests on there. And, and a goodly number of people uh, take advantage of writing out prayer requests that they ask us to pray for. And, and um, I get a copy. My wife gets a copy and her little prayer group on Tuesday mornings. The Men who pray on Tuesday mornings, they get a copy. Several of you pray, and I pray for this all week. I mean, I, I don't pray for it on Monday because I don't have it. But uh, starting as, on Tuesday, I, I pray for these things. This is thlipsis ladies and gentlemen. It's just entry after entry after entry of ellipsis. Very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there are people right here tonight that I know are dealing with great flipses. Their names unknown here. I know because you've privileged me by by drawing me into it. It's um, it's this stuff that is one of those um, reasons <clears throat> that though I am at peace with God, I sometimes. Um, I, I'm not so much sure I have peace of God. You know, um, maybe my phlipsis is not on here either. Maybe your philipsis isn't either. But whether it's on here or not, our text tells us what we ought to do with it. What we ought to do with all philipsises is, <laughs> you make a plural out of philipsis, um, it tells us what we're supposed to do with lipsis. It tells us that we're supposed to moan about it. It tells us that we're supposed to worry about it. It tells us that we're supposed to lose sleep over it. it. It tells us that we're supposed to complain and fear. Your Bible doesn't say that, doesn't it? It is mine. It says um, very simply, not only that—that that is, not only do I glory in the hope, or do I re- re- glory in the hope of the glory of God? Not only do I rejoice in the knowledge that there is a fixedness to my eternity, but not only that, we also. Glory. Cocktail my. We glory. We rejoice. In tribulation. <laughs> Who's he trying to kid? Gang, um... To rejoice in something that's painful is not natural, is it? Paul is nuts. He must have had too much of that fermented stuff. Well, gang, if he is nuts, then so is James, who said, Count it all joy when you endure various hardships. But not only is James, so is Peter. Peter um, says something that I I just love to read. He says, uh, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you? you got some difficulty, do you? Well, don't think that's so strange. It's not strange as if something really big has happened to you. No, it hasn't. He goes on. He says the same thing Paul does. But rejoice. These guys are nuts. Peter's nuts. James is nuts. Paul is nuts. And then so is Jesus. Because Jesus, using a a different Greek word, but one of those species of the uh, genus, he says in in Matthew 5, that um, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Uh, That's what I've been told. That's what I'm told to do with Calypsis. Is I'm supposed to glory in it. Ladies and gentlemen, do you want further proof of the fact that you're a saved individual? Well, I want to suggest to you the way in which your faith enables you to face Phillipsis would be a grand piece of evidence. You know, um, <clears throat> you remember this summer I preached that series of sermons about building an uh, irresistible testimony? And I said that then. In, in one of those sermons, I said that one of the ways that would make us irresistible as witnesses for Christ is the way that we handle trial. And I said something about Steve Brown, uh, one of my... Heroes who, um, who said, and, <clears throat> and I said back then that he can't prove this, and nor can I, but uh, he said that for every non-Christian that gets cancer, a Christian gets cancer. And the reason is so that we can show the difference as to how we face thalipsis and how they face thalipsis. And, and I, I agree, there's a point to be made there, ladies and gentlemen. If, if you want some kind of very subtle evidence that you're real, then look at the way that you handle difficulty. Just try to measure that. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Have you ever thought, how did Jesus Christ handle suffering? Well, you know, we haven't got time to go to all the details of, of how he did that. But there's one little one little. Vignette that I want to remind you about And that's when he's hanging from the cross And it's in uh, Mark chapter 15 verse 39 And Jesus dies and he gives up the ghost and, and, And people have just witnessed Jesus At his absolute weakest And do you remember the centurion The Roman centurion that says Surely Surely this man Is the son of God What did he see? He saw blood flowing off of his temples. He saw somebody agonizing and writhing in pain. He saw water and blood mixture spurt from the side. But there was something about how Jesus handled suffering that prompted this certain centurion to draw this conclusion Wow. If I ever doubted it before, I don't doubt it now. That's the Son of God. Well, all I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, is um, there is no more important, no more subtle test of our profession of faith than the way that we react to trial. It's it's kind of the litmus test, the acid test of one's faith. And and a faith that, that does not help you in the hour of need, ladies and gentlemen, is not the Christian faith. If it cannot sustain you, and I'm not saying perfectly, but if it doesn't sustain you somehow in the midst of your trial, it's not the real thing. Now, what what I want to do is I want to take just a minute. Um, I, I, w- I just want you to look at five texts with me, and and um, because I, I just want to establish the um, uh, the fact that. Um, you better prepare for this. You know, um, it, was, it was a set of tapes. In fact, I, I got them out and listened to them again uh, just recently. It was a set of five tapes. Um, and they were preached by another one of my heroes. A guy that died in his late 30s. His name was Dan DeHaan. He wrote a book entitled The God You Can Know. If you've never read that book, you need to go get it tonight. It's about 125 pages, and it is wonderful reading. Dan DeHaan DeHaan had a um, uh, Bible study in Atlanta. He he was never ordained, but he had this Bible study in Atlanta that met in this Methodist church, it seems. He was not a part of the staff of the Methodist church, but um, it it was 900 people. It's called Metro Bible Study in Atlanta, and 900 people showed up every Tuesday night for his Bible study, and he was a marvelous handler of the Scriptures. But uh, uh, towards the end of his life, he did this thing on what he called the um, the discipline of loneliness. And um, I just listened to it again, and it, it was just wonderful. And I could, I, very frankly, I could just repeat what he says for about five weeks, and, you know, but I won't do that, I promise. I'm not going to draw a lot of stuff from that, but there's one thing that I've got to draw. And it's basically his opening line. It's not his opening line, but it's, it's close. It's in the first five minutes. And it's a quote from C.S. Lewis. And I'm telling you, it's a shocker. It's a shocker particularly for folks like you and me. C.S. Lewis said, You have no right to happiness. Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I didn't say that Christians aren't happy. I didn't say that from time to time we don't experience some just really fun times. But I am saying you have no right to expect it. Will there be occasions where joy, happiness, fun will just break, pleasure will break into your life? You bet. And they're just marvelously enjoyable and sweet refreshments from the Lord. Are they not? But you have no rights. You have no right to expect that. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the average evangelical that lives in Germantown German town finds that as a real shocker. Because one of the reasons that we became Christians, so that we can be happy, and when our happiness is gone we lose everything we're completely disillusioned because we thought that the reason that we became Christians is because we were so sad as a non-Christian it was such a miserable existence as a non-Christian so somebody told me to come to Jesus you know <clears throat> I, I just lied I'm going to tell you one other thing Dan the said again think about this you and I who have sought to reach people for Jesus Christ. And let's just say that God uses us to reach somebody for Jesus Christ and they pray to receive the Lord and become Christians in your presence. Tell me this. What's the first thing we tell them? We tell them about all the goodies that are theirs now. We tell them that now there's men and life is going to be good. And um, and, and he didn't say this. I'm adding this. And I'm not sure I'm right here. I have no statistical analysis. But do we ever tell them? I'll tell you this. uh, If you've got your Bibles, do we ever tell them this? John 16, verse 33. This is our Savior speaking. Do we ever say this? Uh, in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Do we ever tell them that? You ever told a, a, a brand new Christian that, listen, by the way, your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven now, and by the way, expect a lot of tribulation. Anybody ever tell them that? Or do we tell them, uh, how about Acts chapter 5? Acts chapter five verse forty-one. So that they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Anybody ever tell a new convert that? How about chapter fourteen of the same book? Oh, this is um, this is an interesting one. Acts fourteen twenty-two. <laughs> uh, let, let me begin reading it. Verse twenty-one. This is really kind of fun. But verse 21, 1420. And when they had preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, Now listen, this is Paul and his bunch. They're going back and visiting cities that they've already been to, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They just wanted to refresh the people, you know? <laughs> they wanted to encourage them. You know, just kind of pump them up a little bit. And what did they tell them? Not very much longer and you will have abject peace and joy and, 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 and not another problem will ever enter your gates. What they tell them, to encourage them, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. That was designed to encourage. That Paul's a sick man. <laughs> he is a sick man. I'm kidding, of course. I hope you know that. I, um, how, about, how about Philippians 1? Do we ever tell a new convert, do we ever turn to him and say, oh, this is a great statement. Um, this is Philippians one twenty nine, where Paul says, For it has been granted unto you not only to believe on his name, but also to suffer for his sake. For it has been granted unto you, not only to believe. Oh, isn't that a great grace that God has granted that we believe? But it's also been equally granted unto you that you suffer for his sake. You tell a new convert that. One more. Well, actually, I've already read that one. It's the first Timothy the first Peter for one that says, "Don't think it's odd like something big, big deal is happening to you." You know, it's nothing different. We're Joyce. All I'm trying to establish right now, ladies and gentlemen, in, in fact, we won't get that very far tonight because I do want to tell you how this all fleshes out in practice, and I think we'll get to that next week, or maybe not. Um, but but we. Anybody in a hurry? I mean, um, uh, I mean maybe tonight you are, but this is an important subject. At least I, 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 I personally think it is because of. My own uh, aging um, body. But um, uh, all I wanted to show you is the, the fact. And I'm saying that the the average evangelical in in southern Christianity is not particularly uh, wowed by the quote that I gave you from C.S. Lewis. You have no right to happiness. Do you have it? I'm blessed God for it my friend that's not why we became Christians it is not about our happiness we were saved not because God needed heaven populated the purpose of our being saved is what his glory and he delights and putting us in circumstances in which He squeezes out of us as much glory for Himself as He can get. That's what it's about, ladies and gentlemen. Magnifying God, not compounding our interest in our portfolio. You know, I, don't want to say that. I want to say three things and I'll close But I'm telling you, I think they're very important In my opinion, they're very important things It just kind of prepares for next week Three quick things um, First of all, ladies and gentlemen just a, just a kind of a tangential insight But I want you to know Cults usually betray themselves. That is, cults usually betray their spurious nature at this very point because they promise far too much. Now, um, think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, If you are inventing a religion, what would you want your converts to not hear? You know, you wouldn't want to tell them about difficulty in phlipsis, would you? And so, if you're creating one, what you do is tell them if they destroy 7,000 lives, there's going to be 71 virgins waiting for them. Tell them about that every... I mean, don't tell them... You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, um, I, I'm a, this is an aside. Golly gee, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, it really irritated me um, U.S. News and World Report, um, the last edition, not, this, not the present one, but the one right before this. The front page was how the terrorists are, what's the word, stealing, it wasn't stealing, it was, um, they're hijacking, I think that's what it was. They were hijacking one of the world's great religions. Ladies and gentlemen, Islam is not one of the world's great religions It is a cult. It is a cult. Now, um, having said that, cults usually demonstrate early on their spurious character right at this point because they promise far too much. Christianity does not. If you're going to create a religion, would you create one like this? You wouldn't create this one because, ladies and gentlemen, you are invited... Into a. Uh You're invited to base your life on a book of tragedies. Look at every hero in this book. Every one of them. You pick them. I mean, the first one that comes to everybody's mind is Job. Forget Job. Very frankly, I'm convinced that Paul suffered. As much as, if not more Than to Job You know, he was Lashed Five times You know what that means? I mean, having your back opened And then heals up once And got him again And healed up a third time, second time And got him again Open that thing up five times With 39 lashes you know. But take anybody You name him and you find fairy tale, um, Hansel and Gretel living. You know, you find it. It's not there. That's, my, that's the first thing. The second thing is, ladies and gentlemen, and this, I just hope you understand this. If you're a new believer, I hope you understand this. That there is a sense in which the New Testament teaches us that the Christian is more likely to have troubles than anybody else. Guys, uh, I've used this story, and my wife gets on me from time to time about using stories that are dated. Um, <clears throat> but it, this is a dated story. In fact, it comes from my pagan days. But um, I, I'm just trying to illustrate the point. There's, becoming a Christian didn't simplify my life, it complicated it. It complicated at every turn. When I was uh, uh, graduated in UT, I was um, I think I've told you this before I, I, I apologize but uh, I was interviewing with companies around the country and, and um, one of them that uh, was interviewing me was a big bank and the big bank you know had me in for the last interview of the day and it was from the bank psychologist to see if, if I was a communist or whatever um, and and when I went in there they started this you know r- rather slow and um, um, and then they started getting harder and then at the end, this guy kind of rocked back in his desk and said something, and I don't know exactly what he said, but he really assaulted my uh, my ego. He said something like, "Well, you know, I don't think you're that that sharp. <laughs> you you say to me you want to work in the trust department? Well, trust the trust department takes some real whiz bangs, and you ain't one of them." And so I, well, <laughs> you know, um, I, I'll work real hard, sir, and I'll come in early and. Uh, and then he kept doing that and I kind of finally figured out what he was doing or at least I thought I did and apparently I did so I said oh okay well watch this you don't think I can do this job you just uh, stood gnawing this a little bit uh, big boy in about 24 months I'll probably have your job and if you're any nice to me You'll be looking for the, another job someplace. <laughs> and um, he said, "Thank you, Mister Young. <laughs> Within 17 minutes, I had a job offer. Uh, they took me to the next office, and I'd passed. They wanted to see, you know, if I was kind of aggressive or whatever. You know, I guess I went a little bit overboard, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Actually, I just made that up exactly what I said. I don't even remember what I said to him, but I remember I came back at him saying, Okay, I can do this too, big boy. I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but the, the, the point is, then I became a Christian. I wouldn't dream of doing that now. That is godless. That is putrid. Yeah, well, you know, I got all of you. So you ain't got any good, you know. It is just ugly. Because now in my life, there is the God factor. And everything has become complicated because I became a Christian. It's not easier, ladies and gentlemen. It's far more difficult. And I want to suggest to you that becoming a Christian will saddle you with more difficulty, not less. They tell you that when you became a Christian? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time somebody told you. Francis Bacon said this, and I'm quoting, If prosperity is the blessing of the Old Testament, adversity is the blessing of the new. Um, It's that God factor, ladies and gentlemen, that really makes life more complicated because now... We weren't trying to please him before, and I'll guarantee you when I was sitting in the office at, uh, of that bank in Atlanta, I was trying to please no God. I was trying to make my fiancé proud of me and have a job. But I was not trying to please the, heaven, the, the king of kings, but I am now. And so there's a lot of things that I wouldn't dream of doing. Um, you know, um, just a, I was on the Stairmaster today, and there's this guy that I work out with, and uh, he shames me. He's 89. <clears throat> his, name, his name is Grant, the dear brother. He became a Christian when he was nine. He's been a Christian 80 years. He's been retired 25 years. I've been in the ministry 26. He's been retired longer than I work, just about. But anyway, um, he was talking about his business and how... Um, uh, you know, the secretaries, and, and he, he he owned his business. I don't know what the business was, but he heard one of his um, employees uh, tell their secretary, just tell him I'm not in. N- now, you know, non-Christians can do that all day long. You know, all day long they can say, Miss Secretary, I pay you to work for me, so here's what I expect. I want you to lie. That's part of this job around here. To protect me, would you please lie? Can't do that anymore, can we, guys? Because of the God factor. Becoming a Christian didn't make life simpler. It made it life more complex. We're, real quick, and I'm finished. You know, guys, um, if somebody never told you this, if, if all you have had is some kind of emotional experience, I am here to promise you, on the authority of this book, that trial will bring it pretty soon to an end. I say that on the authority of Jesus Christ out of the parable of the four soils, when Jesus says, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. If all you've got is an emotional experience that you had somewhere back in college or, I can tell you, uh, trial. And one of its purposes is to expose the truth both good and bad. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just the foundation because what the admonition is, and very interestingly, Paul doesn't say rejoice in the imperative. It's not in the imperative voice in the Greek. It's in the indicative. Which means, for Paul, it was a matter of fact. Christians, rejoice in tribulation. We'll uh, look further at the subject next week. Our Father, uh, every one of us in this room uh, have had, are having, or will have. Flips us. And uh, our responses have not been stellar. But I pray, O God, that you will um, forgive us And that you will remind us of your expectation of us. And that you, by your grace, will enable us to perform (coughs) that which the flesh cannot produce. Our Father, um, thank you for all the provisions that you make for your people. And for my brother and sister who is in difficulty right now, I pray that you will begin to assure them that there is provision made for us as your people to uh, be more than conquerors even in the midst of grand difficulty. We commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ all over again because nobody else has words of life for us. We pray for his sake. Amen.